Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. President Zelensky gave a powerful speech today in the U.S. Congress. As we've been talking about, he, he really tried to reshape a host of different conversations, did it in a most interesting way. Uh, Congressman Chris Stewart from the state of Utah was there, and he joins us now to share his reaction to that speech, also to the president's speech, and most importantly, where do we go next in all of this? Congressman, thanks for joining us. Uh, Boyd, always great to be with you. It, w- it was a powerful speech, wasn't it? If any of your listeners haven't had a chance to view it, I, I really hope that they would. Listening to it's just not the same thing, and some of the powerful and emotional uh, video and pictures we showed really deserved to, for people to take a minute and, and have a chance to view that. Yeah. Well, you were you were in the room where it happened there. Uh, what was the sense uh, that you had, the sense of your colleagues? Again, it's a, it's a rare thing for a head of a, another country to get a chance to speak to a joint session of Congress. I just don't come around that often. Uh, what was it like in the room? Oh, it's, it's very rare. In fact, you know, it's been maybe twice in my in my eight years, nine years in Congress, I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, the president of, of uh, South Korea, the only, and then maybe one or two others that slips my mind. But anyway, it's not a, a typical occasion, especially under circumstances of war. And, you know, it's interesting, Vladimir Zelensky is a person that most of us, you know, many Americans had never heard of just maybe even a few weeks ago or a month or so ago. And he's become a global figure representing, you know, a person who's willing to fight, a person who's willing to defend the freedom, the freedom of his own people. You know, I love this, you know, this response when, you know, the United States offered him to evacuate and he said, I don't need a riot, I need ammunition. And, and uh, so he is an inspiring figure. Um, and he was scolded. Appreciate the help he's given, but I need more help. And, and I think there's some things that we, we can do and we absolutely have to do to help him further. Uh, and one of the things I'm concentrating on is the humanitarian crisis that has developed and are we doing enough to help the more than three million refugees who have flooded across the border into Poland and other eastern nations, eastern European nations, and uh, and I don't think that's gotten quite the focus that it deserves yet. Yeah, we were talking about just in the last segment that uh, to think of three million, that's like taking the entire population of Utah, every human being, and moving them out of the state in just a matter of 21 days. I mean, that's just uh, hard to wrap your head around. You know, if you just imagine the streets of Salt Lake City and Ogden and Provo and St. George and everything in between to just be a ghost town, uh, that, that's just hard to that's just hard to fathom the needs that come with that. Yeah, 
or imagine being, uh, you know, a, a moderate sized or small town uh, in Poland and suddenly having the population of your town double overnight and, and people with nowhere to go. How, how do they, you know, where do they find a restroom? Where do they, where do they eat? Many of them left with nothing but what they could carry in a backpack, perhaps, or in the pockets of their jacket. And, you know, it's not a balmy 87 degrees over there. It's, right. it's cold. It's wet. It's, it's snowing. Um, and uh, we've concentrated a lot of our conversations and a lot of our help on the military aspect, which we absolutely have to. And I think, boy, do you know me as a former Air Force pilot and a, a defense hawk? I, I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm not reluctant to have that conversation and to try to aid them from the military perspective, allowing them to defend themselves. But again, I think we need to turn some of our focus towards the humanitarian crisis and make sure we're doing everything that the American people can do there as well. Yeah, so important. And uh, obviously, this is a situation that is just constantly changing. We know in the last half hour, uh, President Biden, as he was leaving the White House, uh, did flat out call Vladimir Putin a war criminal uh, for the first time using that language. They've been very hesitant to do that. I know also uh, just in the last 30 minutes, uh, you have uh, tweeted out and uh, published uh that uh, Vladimir Putin's net worth uh, was just declassified at your request, uh, and an amazing twenty-five billion uh, that yeah. somehow has to be factored into all of this. Yeah, I mean, we wanted the we wanted the American people to, to know in the West to know. I mean, we knew that figure from our again from the classified intelligence. Uh, but here's a man who has supposedly worked in government his entire life and supposedly a public servant of the Russian people. When the truth is, he has robbed the Russian people of billions and billions of dollars, $25 billion. Wow. Uh, and when we talk about his enormous wealth that he's accumulated, uh, I just think it's fair for people to, to know that. And so we pressed hard for, for that intelligence to be released. And by the way, there's no reason why that should be classified. We didn't gather that intelligence from particularly sensitive means or methods. It's not like we had a you know, a mole in the, in the Kremlin who was telling us when Vladimir Putin was buying Russian companies. This is something that was generally publicly available. So, uh, and I think it adds a little context to this person that we're dealing with there. Um, that the power he has, he has brought unto himself, the power he has taken from the Russian people and the wealth he has taken from the Russian people. And when we talk about sanctions, we have to specifically target Vladimir Putin's $25 billion, make him feel the pain of these Western sanctions, not just the Russian people. Yeah, one of the things that we uh, noted yesterday was, uh, of course, yesterday they uh, noted that uh, sanctions had been placed on the uh, the president of Belarus. Uh, but as you dig down into that a little bit, it was just sort of the reestablishment of some of the sanctions that had been put on the president of Belarus for some uh, humanitarian uh, violations, some human rights violations. Uh, all the way back in 2006 during the George W. Bush administration. And so uh, my question then is, do, do we have the will and the staying power with these kind of sanctions? And whether it's the head of Belarus or whether it's President Putin from Russia, do we, do we have the will and the staying power to keep enforcing these, uh, not just for the short term, but for the long haul? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, Boyd, if you'd asked me that about any other circumstances, I would have answered it skeptically. Mm -hmm. And I would have said, well, we'll see. I hope we do, but we'll see. I think in this instance that we genuinely do. Uh, I think one of the great uh, enlightenments to Vladimir Putin, this KGB thug, has been the uh, 
the ability and the willingness of the West, the United States and other Western nations and, and other nations as well, to really coalesce against him, to really move forward with, uh, with sanctions that are, that are actually very painful for him and the Russian people. And, and to make it everything from financial uh, transactions, obviously, to their personal wealth, to travel, to personal properties. I mean, we've never really seen anything quite like it before. And, uh, you know, again, if you'd ask me about Tehran and the sanctions we impose on them for being domestic or global sponsors of terrorism and other things. Yeah, those things are sketchy sometimes. And sometimes we're willing to release some of that pressure when I don't think we should. But in this case, uh, I think that pressure has been applied and, and, uh, and it's not going to be, it's certainly not going to be by the weekend that those sanctions are released. It may take years to unwind those sanctions and that pressure on Russia. Yeah, so important. And then uh, finally, Congressman, I, I know you're uh, you're also a wordsmith guy, and uh, I, I just thought it was so fascinating to see how uh, President Zelensky moved through this. He did such an an interesting job of reframing conversations from our founding story, and you know, black skies over Pearl Harbor on September 11th to black skies uh, over Ukraine. He did that in in terms of the the sanctions. Uh, he also did that in in terms of NATO. Of hey, if we if you can't let us into NATO, maybe we need something new. We need something different. This Union 24. Yeah. Uh, and then he he concluded by talking uh, about leadership. Many people have said, hey, the U.S. can't be the police uh, of the world, and so he instead called on uh, President Biden to not lead from the middle, but to lead from the front, and that leading from the front uh, as leader of the free world is really about being the leader of peace. Uh, as you watch that and listen to that as a as a wordsmith guy, uh, did he really reshape the conversations we should be having as it relates to all of this? Well, I think in many ways he did. And you know, boy, the thing that was endearing about that was if you listen closely, you can see that that he or people around him wrote that speech. Uh, they didn't just hire some American to write the speech and said, you know, write something the American people will, will relate to. Yeah. You know, little things like he didn't call it Mount Rushmore. He calls it Rushmore. And there were other things where the verbiage was just such that, you know, he knew the concept. He knows Mount Rushmore. He knows about the skies in Pearl Harbor, et cetera, et cetera. But he didn't just pay some speechwriter in Washington or New York to write that for him. This was him speaking from his own heart, his own experience, and his own perception. And this is the important point. His own perception as the American people being the leaders of the free world. The American president, whether we like it or not, is the leader of the free world. And if we don't lead, then President Putin will. Or President Xi in China will. Or the mullahs in Iran will. We have no choice but to lead. President Zelensky was making that point, And I just think it's so appreciated from someone of a perspective who is saying, please help us. If you don't help us, who will? And, and again, to me, it was one of the most touching and enduring parts of his speech. Ah, fantastic. Congressman Chris Stewart, appreciate your perspective from a very busy day in our nation's capital, busy all around the world today. Always appreciate your perspective. Thanks for joining us. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Uh, when we come back, it's a, a Jewish holiday. Begins tonight at sundown. We're going to talk about it with Maya Jaredot. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. 
But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.